All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Infinite Fringe. My name is Billy Ray Valentine. Billy the Kid, thank you for coming back. We appreciate you listening. Got one of my favorite people on earth here today, right? Veteran to the Infinite Fringe. He's been here many times in the past, right? One of my very first, when I got into this thing, when I got into podcasting, there were several people that I wanted to interview. Don Jeffries being one of them. Um, what's up, Don? And uh, and this this gentleman right here, Mr. Mark Devlin. I wanted to interview Mark Devlin because I used to listen to his podcast and and I thought he was super cool. And I was like, you know, maybe he'll talk to me. So I emailed him and he was like, yeah, well, all right, mate, I'll talk to you. You know, and uh, and, uh, and now he's my friend. And I I, I met him in, in person one time. We, we did a conference together. It's, it's dope. Mr. Mark Devlin is here on the Infinite Fringe. Ladies and gents, Mark, how are you doing? Welcome back. What's up, man? What's up, Billy? Thanks for that awesome intro. Uh, good to be back with you. Yeah, feels like we've done a lifetime's worth of shows together, doesn't it? We have, you know, and it's dope, right? It's it's amazing. There, and and uh, the, the audience is well aware that that uh, I've I've cut off about eighty five percent of the of the people that I had on here, you know. And there's only a select few, and I bring in a couple of new people. But you're one of those people, like, because I, I know you're for real. Even if we disagree on some things, I know you're for real, right? I know Mark is not going to bullshit, and Mark is going to bring cool information to the table. We're going to talk about, you know, uh, entertainment and a bunch of other stuff. You know, you know what Mark gets into. And if you don't, for any of the new listeners, we do have new listeners. Imagine that, Mark. You know, um, for any of the new listeners, Mark Devlin is the dude. You're going to get to know him today for a little bit. Um, what have you been up to over there in the U.K.? Well, uh, part of it has been a whittling down process, as you alluded to there, because people are kind enough to email me regularly and they say that you're one of the only hosts we bother listening to anymore because over the past three years, there's been a lot of BS merchants, there's been a lot of grifters, a lot of bloody confidence tricksters, a lot of charlatans, a lot of people spouting hopium and false promises, a lot of people spouting doom and gloom and uh, really depressing stuff. And, you know, they tell me that they still listen to me because they feel that I'm authentic and it's very gratifying to hear. Mm -hmm. And it's been the same process with me because there's very few shows that I bother listening to anymore for those same reasons. I mean, yours is one. I love the Sheep Farm Boys out of the UK. Shout out to Dom and Chris. I listen to Crow 777 Radio, Crow Mm. and Jason. I listen to Mike Williams, Sage of Quay. And uh, that's pretty much it. Not many more, to be honest, because I find those guys to be authentic and their stuff resonates with me. And we've all been through so much shit these past three years. I think we've learned a lot of lessons. And I've certainly learned not to trust certain names that I would have trusted back in 2020. And uh, I've just had a sort of spring clear out of all the stuff that I do bother listening to. I don't really listen to much music anymore because my work involves exposing what the music industry is really used for you, you mean and that the trouble is Sam Smith. yeah the trouble is when you know about this stuff right every time you listen to a new piece of music all you can hear is an agenda being pushed and it's the same thing with movies if you know all about the symbolism and the predictive programming that goes into movies every time you see one the entertainment value is gone and it mm. just becomes two hours worth of research and looking at what's being pushed there. Right. So it's a very unfortunate thing when popular culture doesn't hold the same enjoyment and fulfillment for you that it used to. And I'm just having to try and get by 
listening to podcasts, listening to a small amount of music. I like soulful uplift in house. Uh, I can't listen to too much older music because it sparks great nostalgic memories. Mm. Uh, that's what music does. That's yeah. why it's been weaponized. And it takes me back to happy places in my past. And people might say, well, what's so wrong with that? And the problem with me is when I go back to those happy places, I get concerned that those happy, joyous days are gone forever and they're never coming back. So I don't like to wallow in nostalgia for too long. So, yeah, life's become very strange. It's mainly work and research, uh, a little bit of sort of leisurely stuff to listen to, uh, lots of writing. I'm writing my new book at the moment and, um, you know, handling family, home life challenges as well. Well, you know, everybody's going through something, you know, uh, sure. I want, I want you to, to, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, about your new book, right? I want to get into that for sure. But, um, um, before we get there, I just want to, want to talk about that piece of nostalgia that you were talking about, right? Cause I do nothing but listen to old music. I don't, I don't have very many new artists that I deal with. I can't even, if you, if you put me on the spot, I don't know if I can give you any that I listen to, right? I mean, maybe, maybe, I I guess I could say Kendrick Lamar, but how new is Kendrick, right? How new is J. Cole? How how new are these people? Um, You know, right. So, I I mean, that's it, you know, really. And maybe there are others. I mean, there's some hip hop. There's Joey Badass, right? And and Action Bronson that I listen to. Um, uh, And and they're not necessarily the new batch, right? So, but, but, right, Um, it takes me back. Right. And I love listening to it. Um, but um, there is that nostalgia factor. And I think you're right. They are times that are never coming back. Right. They're never coming back. But we can we can create new times that are good and and happy and, and nostalgic, yeah. you know, with with that old music. Like I what I do is right. I, I'll t- I listen to Prince religiously, like all the time. Right. So my kids are very familiar with Prince because I'm always blasting it around the house. They don't have the same enthusiasm about Prince that I do, but, <laughs> but I do it anyway, you know, and every time a song, a song comes on when I'm in a, we're at a, at a diner or we're at a store and a Prince song comes on. I'm like, who's that? You know? And I, and I make them, they're like, that's Prince dad. I'm like, what song is that? You know? And they're like, why? You know? And I'm like, just answer the question. What song is that? You know? And then, and then they'll, um, they'll answer it depending if, if they know they're it. Like, oh, that's that dead dude. Yeah. 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 You know, um, my little guy's a little bit more into it. You know, he's into, he's into Prince somewhat. He's into Freddie Mercury. He really likes Queen, you know, uh, my eldest likes Muse, you know, and Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of into Rage Against the Machine, you know, but, uh, you know, but, but uh, I, I use that music, you know, to, uh, to try to see, to try to tell them, hey, this is how it used to be. And, and this is how cool it is, you know, um, it was or whatever, because nowadays it's just a bunch of trash, like, you know. Of course it is. You know, and, and I, I made a joke about Sam Smith. I don't know if you heard me, but, but it was like, oh, you, you mean to tell me you're not listening to Sam Smith? Um, and, and that's the stuff that I don't know. Are you familiar? Do you know who that is? Me? Yeah. Sam Smith. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Because, you know, that whole satanic ritual that he put on. That stuff yeah. not too long ago. And and uh, he he's he's incredible because, you know, he has an incredible. They, they Billy, they they are incredible. <laughs> 
Come on, correct pronouns now. <laughs> Thank you for correcting my English. Sir. <laughs> they are incredible. You know, Clown uh, World 2023. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, he was razor thin in 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 incredible shape well not incredible he was in good shape i guess he was you know he, he it was yeah. it's a different guy now he's as like, bloated as boris johnson holy crap like i did i couldn't recognize i don't follow him i don't really like his music but when i saw him you know after he did the satanic ritual i was like who the hell is that no like that sam smith i'm like who what like what happened to him <laughs> you know yeah it's what totally, happened? What yeah, to totally him? different guy and then and then uh even even the tone of his music changed, right? Like, I mean, it's not they've completely taken him over hmm. and 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 pushed whatever agenda they wanted to push with it. Like, I mean, it was when I remember Sam Smith, he wasn't he wasn't worshiping Satan, he wasn't being provocatively, you know, uh overly sexual. You know, he was just singing songs. He was he happened to be gay. Okay, no problem, right? Like, I mean, but now it's like, good lord, what is this? Like, what's going on? And uh this is what's happened in in uh, in music today. I think you're very well aware, you know, that uh, it's just completely taken over the music industry. There yeah. is there are no. Well, maybe there are a few like outliers, but mostly it is that. Anyway, any thoughts on that before we get into your book? Well, this is the way they do it with artists by stealth. Mm -hmm. They'll introduce them a certain way and they have this image and this sound and it's very palatable, it's very appealing, and that's how they build up the fan base. I've given endless examples of this in the past. One great example would be the Beatles. Mm. So when they first came out, they were this boy band singing nice, pleasant, boy meets girl love songs, she loves yeah. you and all that. And then by the time they'd finished up, they'd become psychedelic and trippy and grown out their hair, and they were putting out all this experimental music and pushing social engineering agendas. Uh, with that counterculture 60s uh, stuff. Uh, some more recent examples would include Destiny's Child. Mm. So in some of my talks recently, I've shown a picture of the time I met Destiny's Child. Uh, I interviewed him for the radio station I was on at the time. I met him in February 98. They'd just come out with their first single. And I was sat there on a sofa with Beyonce, Kelly Rowland, uh, Latavia and uh, whoever the other one was, uh, the really hot one uh, mm -hmm. who they kicked out. Um, and I'm there with Beyonce. They're all 16 and they were very sweet girls. They seemed very sort of innocent, but very lovely and, uh, you know, excited about this career that lay ahead of them. And when Destiny's Child came out, they were making these girl-friendly R&B tunes that were floor fillers and girls used to sing along to them in clubs. Right. But then a few years down the line, Beyonce just became straight satanic. Yeah. They'd hooked her up with Jay-Z. Jay-Z is, in my opinion, her mind control handler. Mm. And she started just pushing all this satanic, dark occult imagery uh, there's videos of her where she appears to be possessed, like she's got some entity in her. Uh, she seems to be sort of shape-shifting and uh, uh, just going through some changes in certain performances. Uh, then another example would be Rihanna when she mm. first came out. Uh, her first single was uh, If It's Loving That You Want, this nice breezy pop tune. And then uh, they bring out her album Good Girl Gone Bad. It's all there in the title. They take this very sweet, lovely girl and just get her pushing Satanism and, and all this dark occult 
ritualistic stuff that the industry gets involved with. Katy Perry used to be a Christian artist when she was Catherine Hudson. Mm. And uh, she gave this interview famously where she said that she tried her hand at Christian music. It didn't work out. And so she sold her soul to the devil. That's what she says in her own words. And then she starts pushing all this really bad stuff. And uh, she's flaunting with pizza imagery and symbolism. And anyone that's researched these food-related terms that are used by paedophiles and child sex trafficking rings will know the implication of flaunting with the word pizza. So they become very dark. But to start with, they're very bright and appealing. And you've just given Sam Smith as another example there. This is the way they get the fan base in place. Even Bono, you two, I'm I'm sure we've spoken about Bono on previous shows, but you two came out as this serious sort of sincere rock group and they're doing songs like Sunday Bloody Sunday and they appear to be politically concerned and conscious. And then a few years down the line, Bono becomes a New World Order bagman <laughs> running errands for George Soros and right. Bill Gates and stuff like this. So um, it's a dynamic that we've seen so many times through the decades. And their attitude seems to be, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. And so until they get called out on it and until the public en masse turns its back on these manufactured heroes, yeah. I guess they're just going to keep rolling this dynamic out. No, oh, man, I, I understand 100 what you're talking about. And Bono, to to, to shine a little, a little bit of light on him, um, I don't know Strike if you saw him at the, at the State of the Union <laughs> address here in the United States when Joe Biden was talking. And, and, and uh, I forget who he was standing in front of, either Nancy Pelosi or Hillary Clinton. I forget he was standing. He was he was in front of them looking like a like a like an 80 year old lady. Um, and, and I didn't even recognize somebody pointed it out to me. They're like, hey, that's Bono. I'm like, oh, my God, it is Bono. First of all, terrible doing? these days. Right. It's like he's rotting from the inside out. Incredible. You know, and 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 I, I never really understood in, uh, why they took him in. Um, you know, uh, he, like you said, like I, I was a big U2 fan. You know, it was great albums early on that they were putting out. And um, and then he got to, uh, fully indoctrinated to the point where he's visiting the Pope, you know, and, and, and talking to the Pope about what exactly, you know, and, 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 and he's with all these world leaders. You know, and, and now he's at the State of the Union. You know, it's like it's 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 just ridiculous. I think he was always tapped for yeah. it, to be honest, because um, I've picked up on some research done by a guy named Johnny Vedmore, who mm-hmm. I had on my show recently. And he went into Bono's bloodline, his ancestry, genealogy going mm-hmm. way back. And he traced his family back to 16th century England. And he showed how they migrated out to Ireland mm-hmm. and different generations of this family have been put into really prominent, influential positions in society. Mm. And that tallies with Bono's role as a world-famous rock star slash Illuminati agenda pusher. So I think uh, it was always on the cards that he was going to be hobnobbing with Bill Clinton and George Bush and pushing all these agendas and stuff. They just had to get him familiar to the public first. So he had to do the whole rock star thing first same with bob geldof man you know i mean bob geldof started pushing so-called globalist agendas in the mid 80s mm. with live aid and band-aid right. but before that he was in the boomtown rats as the mm. singer another yeah. rock band coming out of dublin 
And um, they had to do that because the public had to know who Bob Geldof was before he could start doing his real work. So that's the way they uh, get them to put in a few years first of hard slog. (laughs) And then their true nature becomes apparent. Right, man. Um, And and, uh, I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of Sting and the Police and you've broken down. Uh, right. you know their their roots and CIA band right right you you've broken that down several times here on the fringe if you guys want to go back actually you know what we're 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 seriously seriously thinking about launching a premium service for the infinite fringe and I had to take down so many episodes due to copyright issues um there's several episodes with mark um that we would put up on the premium stream we we're gonna we're gonna put up all um one episode of old school fringe that 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 aren't available to the public at this point we're going to put them uh behind uh the the premium uh service you know along with with new content that's what we're thinking about doing so a, a lot of mark stuff would go up there first time i'm announcing it live on air so here you go <laughs> look out Ooh. for it if you're interested um but mark broke down the police the you know and, and made me cry live on air. um i, I didn't cry but i cried yeah. inside um, but regardless, that's you know, what I do, man. I, 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 I shatter know. dreams you do. and uh, I destroy nostalgic memories. That's yeah, I don't know why I keep you around, but you absolutely. <laughs> I actually don't take any joy in that. No, no, no. I, I'm I, I think no, people no. get that twisted sometimes. They're like, yeah, no, no, oh, no, Mark no. just likes to destroy everyone's heroes. No, uh, I do it because I think the information is important. Right. It needs and, to be done. Uh, somebody needs to be putting this stuff out there. So that's what I do. But I take no pleasure in it. You know, no, I no. wish I wish yeah. I didn't have to do this and it was some other way. Yeah. No, no, no. I get it 100. I'm, I'm teasing you a little bit, Mark. Um, um, I, I want to know these things. And I know the audience does, too. Right. But the police in in some type of it wasn't a it wasn't a an occult ritual at least i don't know if it was but but um it, it was like a music industry ritual passed off the baton to you two live on stage right they the police was the biggest band in the world quote unquote and literally brought bono on and and it was like a ritualistic passing of the torch and you two became the biggest band on earth right fast forward a few years later They did the same thing with Jay-Z and I never understood why they put Jay-Z on stage with you too. It never, you know, it it, it was two very different worlds. It it, it was awkward at one. You can find that footage on YouTube, Jay-Z and, uh, and, uh, and you two on stage. I I forgot what, what, um, at what ritual, I mean, at what, um, (laughs) ritual, maybe that's the right (laughs) word to use at what, uh, what performance it was, what festival, but this happened. You know, and then Jay Z becomes the biggest act in in music, right? Um, and and he's not even a musician. I don't understand. You know, but that's the, that was the progression of of this what, whole thing. What, what about uh, if you take it back to '96? Mm-hmm. Jay Z did a track with Biggie Smalls, Notorious B.I.G. Right. called Brooklyn's Finest. Right. And uh, you know, Biggie was arguably the biggest rapper in New York right. at that time. And then in March '97. Biggie was taken out in what my what in my view was a ritual killing, mm-hmm. uh, an assassination, and then Jay Z basically took his role as the biggest rapper coming out right. of New York. Right. He even says on the city is mine. Right. He says, you know, don't worry about New York. I've got it locked okay. down. You know, I've, right. I've taken the baton. Right. So there's a lot of baton passing that goes on. What about Madonna and Britney Spears? Ah. Those shows. I think it was the Grammys going way back early 2000s where um, Madonna kisses Britney 
That was the MTV Video Music Awards. Okay, yeah, VMAs. And um, that's been interpreted symbolically as Madonna passing the baton to Britney and Mm -hmm. saying, you're now the top pop princess. I'm passing it over to you. So, yeah, I think a lot of this goes on. Right. No, I, I think you're right, man. Uh, that that was an, another another um, thing that went on live on stage just for shock value or for a, a ritual purpose because it had nothing to do with music. And, right. and, and now, Bad Bunny. I want to go back to Jay Z before we get into your book, and then we'll 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 go foot into your book. But now, Bad Bunny is the biggest artist in the world. I don't know if you're familiar with Bad Bunny. I don't know how you can't be at this no, point. I, well, I, I don't pay attention to contemporary music anymore because I just can't stand to wallow in it. So there's a lot of artists out there that have passed me by because I'm just not paying attention. <laughs> well, he's the biggest artist in the world, Mark. Um, <laughs> and I missed it. <laughs> you know, um, and and yeah, he, he, he it's a it's a reggaeton uh, Latin artist from Puerto Rico. Um, and uh, he's yeah, thinking Spanish. Heard of him. Yeah, he's dating one of the Jenners, uh, one uh, Kylie Jenner or something. Like he's he's huge. Um, and, and there's some, uh, you know, I mean, he, it's not like he's talentless, you know, he, he, he has some, some, some talent. I don't resonate with the music, but, um, regardless it's, 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 uh, there's nothing musical about it. Like if you go see a live show, it's, it's him and a bunch of dancers and that's what it is now. That's what music has become. You, You really don't see, um, you know, music, you really don't see musicians on stage playing. Well, at least not for the popular acts for, you know, and, and, uh, it's just the phasing out of, of the art, in my opinion. And uh, mm. going back to Jay-Z, I just want to make this point. Um, and, th- and then we'll move on. I want your thoughts on it, and then we'll move on, right? When, when Jay-Z did that track, right, he, he, everybody claims to be the king of New York, right? And in and, and hip-hop, the king of New York was a thing back then. It was big. Big big was the dude, right? Mm. And the two biggest rappers in the world was Big and Pac, right? And, and Tupac. Right. Um, and and Jay-Z was like lurking, right? In in, in the I don't know. He no, no, people I think I think uh, his first album, Reasonable Doubt, maybe 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 went gold. Maybe. You know, um the second album went gold. Nobody really cared. You know, people were selling millions and millions of albums at this point. Like millions, you know, like uh the grunge uh era with uh um Stone Temple Pilots or or Pearl Jam, 10 million albums, shit like that, you know. And uh, and hip hop, I think Pac was selling uh, millions and millions of albums. All eyes on me, uh, sold I think nine or ten million. Um, and uh, you know, Big did the same. Um, so as they, they both die, right? Nas is still around, you know. And but Nas wasn't, you know, uh, I don't know. People, he he wasn't commercial as commercially successful as they would have liked. Jay Z never had an era, you know. Um, after them, I, I I forget exactly who came, but but it was. I remember the DMX era. DMX was selling 10 million albums, you know, like, I mean, ridiculous. The first two albums that, that DMX sold. Jay-Z was, was second to DMX. Um, then uh, uh, Eminem came around with, uh, with Nelly. Jay-Z was second or third to them, you know, and, and not even, Jay-Z never, never sold the amount of records that these people sold. 50 Cent came around and 50 Cent had an era. You know, um, that Jay-Z just didn't have like, uh, you know, but he, somehow he's considered the greatest rapper alive. I, I, I and, and that's largely due, in my opinion, to his backers and the people that are handling him and, and them uh, molding perception. And and I, I, I agree with you. I think this this was an arranged marriage with with him and Beyonce. Yeah. Give me some thoughts and then we'll move on. 
So I think at any given time, there's a vacancy, just like there's job vacancies. You know, if you go to some uh, firm, some corporation, there's right. a vacancy for a managing director at any given time. And somebody mm. fulfills that role. And if that person leaves, they need to find somebody else. So it's the same thing in the music industry. There's a vacancy for number one hip hop MC, number one R&B singer. And the industry is on the lookout for who can fill that position. They kept Jay-Z on ice for quite some time. Right. So when Reasonable Doubt dropped his debut album in 96, he was, I think he was 26 or 27 years of age, hmm. which is, you know, pretty old to, to make a breakthrough because most rap dudes sort of make it at the age of 20 or something. So um, Jay-Z had been struggling for years as a rapper. Uh, he'd really wanted that fame when you look at his backstory. He was mentored by this guy called Jazz O, who gave him the moniker Jay-Z, because it's right. similar to his name. And um, he was just like lurking, as you say, in the background, waiting for his chance to strike. So Reasonable Doubt comes out. It's 96. In September of 96, Tupac gets taken out if mm -hmm. that was a real event. Uh, then six months later in March 97, they take out Notorious B.I.G. And I firmly believe that was a genuine event. Right. And then Jay-Z just goes stratospheric and becomes number one rapper. And he holds that position for pretty much the best part of 20 years. I mean, you had the likes of Eminem that came along, 50 Cent, uh, Little Wayne, but Jay-Z was always like of megastar status compared to those guys. They put him together with Beyonce, in my opinion, as with yours, that's an arranged situation. Right. And it had been decided that Beyonce was going to be the number one R&B singer. Yeah. Um, I had this sort of joke in the early 2000s, actually, that R&B stood for Rihanna and Beyonce <laughs> because they just dominated everything. Right. Um, but yeah, for many, many years, you had this partnership between the two of them where they were the number one rapper and the number one R&B singer. And I think they just showed themselves to want that fame so much that they were prepared to do anything for it, or particularly with the case of Jay-Z. Mm -hmm. So official biographies will tell you that he was a crack cocaine dealer, you know, in the projects in Brooklyn. So and he was this uh, very talented rapper, mm -hmm. but he was getting very frustrated that he wasn't finding that fame. Right. And we can only speculate because we don't know the truth, but I think it's very likely that the industry uh, in whatever form took Jay-Z to one side and said, we will give you the wealth and the fame and the fortune that you crave, but it comes at a price. How much do you want it? And it involved basically selling his soul metaphorically or otherwise with Beyonce. I suspect it's a different case. Uh, it seems that her father, Matthew Knowles, pushed her into the industry and he kind of wanted her to be successful in the same way that Michael Jackson's dad did. So Joe Jackson pushed all of his kids into showbiz because he wanted them to bring him all that wealth and fame that he'd never achieved himself. With Beyonce, it seems she had a very pushy, overbearing father who effectively pimped her out to the industry. Mm -hmm. And I covered the rest earlier, you know, it's, it's, it's as if she became possessed when she started pushing all this dark occult stuff. Uh, and then I think Jay-Z was allotted to her as her mind control handler. So uh, that's it. You know, the number one 
hip-hop position was waiting to be filled, Jay-Z did a very good job of doing what his industry overlords wanted him to do, pushing agendas and pushing themes through his records. And if he hadn't done a good job, or if he'd gone a bit flaky and a bit sort of unreliable, they would not have hesitated to have kicked him out of that number one position and ushered somebody else in. There's never any shortage of potential candidates. Same thing with Beyonce. If she had not faithfully pushed all the agendas that she was being asked to, they would have replaced her with somebody else. But they did a very good job. And so they held those positions for years. Uh, And that's the way it's done. You know, in the 60s, there was a vacancy for number one pop group or rock group. And that was the Beatles with Rolling Stones as number two. Could have turned out differently. You know, if the Beatles had gone unreliable uh, or didn't want to do it, then the Stones would probably have been number one act and, and bigger than the Beatles. But that's the way they do it. Right. I, I, I don't disagree with a lot of that, sir. Um, tell me about your book. What's going on? What are you writing about? Right. So I'm on to my, I lose count, actually. Is this my sixth book? One, two, three, four. Yeah, it is. Because I've got this. Congratulations. Sort of, Thank you. I've got this forgotten book, which a lot of people don't really know about because I never really talk about it. I wrote it when I was still asleep, effectively, you know, in normie land. It came out in early 2007. I wrote it in sort of 2005, 2006. And that's when I was still full time DJing. So I was doing radio shows and I was traveling around doing gigs and I was playing all this stuff. You know, I was an R&B and hip hop DJ. So I was playing Rihanna and Beyonce and Jay-Z and all this stuff in the clubs. Uh, Not proud of it now looking back, but at the time, that's the music I was into. That was the culture. Uh, And I just lived for clubbing and DJing and traveling around. So I brought out this book called Tales from the Flipside, which was a collection of anecdotes and sort of funny stories from the sharp end of the DJing game. Then I went through this period where I started to wake up to truth and started to develop a bit of a conscience and uh, armed myself with knowledge and research. And I set myself upon the path to really researching the true nature of the music industry. That resulted in my three musical truth books, volumes one, two, and three. But between volume two and three, I put out a book called The Cause and the Cure, which was my first forays into the world of fiction. I really fancied trying my hand at uh, writing a novel. And I was very happy with how that turned out. That was released in 2019, just before all the COVID madness kicked off. So The Cause and the Cure seems to be quite a prophetic title in the circumstances. Not that I had any idea what was on the way in 2020. Uh, Took me by surprise. So now uh, I'm giving myself a bit of a break from the nonfiction research and going back into fiction writing with the follow-up. This is the sequel to The Cause and the Cure. This one is called The Gift and the Curse. And I'm really loving the process. I'm finding it to be quite healing, quite cathartic. Awesome. Because, yeah, when you wallow in all this dark, dense, real-world material, it can really start to weigh you down. And it becomes a real burden sometimes to to know all this stuff and it's always good when you've got some kind of diversion something else to put all your energy into that distracts you from you know the dark stuff for a bit so this story is set 10 years on from the previous one so the cause and the cure was early 90s 1991 full of 
period detail and nostalgic memories of those times. Set in the city of Oxford, which is where I was born. Uh, Oxford is a very interesting city to set a story in. It's absolutely steeped in history. It's where all the so-called elite types go to get all their system indoctrination. Right. Oxford University, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Osama bin Laden studied at Oxford and Bill Clinton studied at Oxford, as you well as Tony be. Blair and all the British prime ministers. So it's a very interesting place. Interesting. So this story is set 10 years on and it's in September 2001 anything interesting happened that month <laughs> I, I don't i don't know sir nothing rings a bell. A bit, of a bit of a quiet month for news wasn't it really <laughs> right 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 yeah so of course it's set against the backdrop of the events of 9 11 right and i've gone back in time and sort of been reliving what what those times were like and i've put yeah. lots of the detail real world detail of those events into the story so there's many of the uh, same characters as in the first story and we catch up with them 10 years later find out what they're doing what their lives have been like but basically the plot involves the uncovering of a plot to perpetrate an oxford version of the 9-11 attacks and the characters come to realize that the so-called elites the control system of oxford the secret society network is planning to blow up one of the city's most iconic historic buildings blame it on muslim terrorists and use it as an excuse to fast track the new world order uh, dystopian nightmare future right. that they have in store for us all and Oxford in the story becomes a sort of microcosm for the world. So everything that happens within the city ring road is a reflection of what's happening in the wider world. So on top of that plot, I've put in all kinds of symbolic decodes. So there's lots of uh, fun that can be had spotting some of the metaphors and the allegories that I've put in there. There's a few anagrams that people can decode. But I've also really enjoyed getting inside some of the characters because the great thing about writing fiction is, first of all, you don't have to provide citations for any of your sources. <laughs> you, you can say whatever the hell you like. Right, right. You do not have to back it up because it's yeah. fiction, right? Right. Except I refer to it as truth fiction because mm. it's basically truth. It's just in the form of fiction. Yeah. And... I've got six main characters, six principal characters, three female, three male. And I've put aspects of myself, my own personality into some of these characters. Uh, some of their backgrounds are similar to mine. There's this dude uh, called Drew, Drew Hunter, who's a DJ, just like I was. Um, and even with the female characters, I've really tried to imagine what it would be like to uh, be a female of a certain age and, and, you know, perceiving the world that way. I've set myself the challenge of uh, really getting imaginative with that because it would have been easy to have all male characters, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, I actually changed one of the characters. This is another great thing about writing a story of this nature. You are the god of your own universe. You've created this world and these characters and you can do whatever the hell you want. So I thought I'd have this nerdy geeky sort of dude that would be into gematria and he would be into like decoding stuff and i started writing and i thought you know what i think i'm going to change this character to a girl so 
she's going to be nerdy and geeky, but this guy's get, this guy's name was going to be Dan. And I thought, no, now it's Danielle. Now <laughs> it's a female. So it's not a tranny, you know, it's, it's not a trans. Uh, it's, a, it's a genuine female. I just decided to switch up the character. Right. And so she's the one that's decoding all this stuff. And right. I'm just having a lot of fun with it. And I'm finding the process to be to be great. You know, it's a great thing to write fiction. Uh, I'm loving it. And uh, that's that was really fun to, to, to sit down. I mean, I remember um, your first venture into fiction. You had you had a lot of that. Right. Um, yeah, we spoke the, about that on one of your shows, didn't we? We did. We did a whole a whole a whole podcast on it again. Right. You know, <laughs> I don't think it's up anymore. Um, it might be. Um, I don't know if I played any copywritten music for that, but uh, um, if it's not, it, it will be at some point. So, uh, premium right. service, guys, keep it in keep it in uh, keep it in mind. But uh, but yeah, that sounds really fun, man. And 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 uh, people fun, can yeah. people can learn about. Uh, about you know alternative subjects in the process right it's, it's a good way to to plant seeds right because uh, maybe it gets into the hands of somebody that doesn't know and then they start researching these things like what's gematria you know <laughs> and they start going down down that road and that's always really fun it reminds me of how fun it was uh back in the day you know when, when uh you want to talk about nostalgia you know like how how the alternative it wasn't even called the alternative it's just conspiracy stuff you know back then it was it was so much fun you know, it's, nowadays it's not as fun as it used to be, but it, it sounds like uh, yeah, because all the conspiracies have, have come true. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. You know? So many of them have 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 come true, and then all the all the stuff we used to hope that right. we got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like, oh, this sounds a bit far out. They'd never do this. <laughs> uh, they did. <laughs> You're not kidding though. Like we can, what what is it? It's the Babylon Bee, right? That puts out fake stories here in the United States. And and so many of the fake stories that they put out actually turned out to be real. <laughs> it's it's incredible, right. you yeah. know. Um, th that's the 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 type of uh, world that we're living in. When should we expect the book to to come out? Well, I'm aiming to get it finished by about October. Mm -hmm. I'm really steaming ahead with the writing. I'm I'm sort of writing a, a chapter a day now, mm. and so it's it's going really well. It's going to stall a bit in the summer because I've got loads of other stuff going on, but I hope to get it finished in October. It will certainly be out uh, well in time for Christmas. And the other thing I do with these novels is I provide soundtracks, and I think they're the only books, fiction books in the world that come with their own soundtracks, like a movie. Yeah, and I'm inspired by Quentin Tarantino. You know. Uh, whatever you think about tarantino as a person he's made like some great movies every time he puts out a movie he comes with a great soundtrack it's always great yeah. music right and i thought well i'm gonna do that so this is gonna be music from 2001 not the best of years you know not as good as the 90s uh, but also little bits of news footage and little clips of audio from the time you know news bulletins and stuff and that's and dope mix it all up and just transport people back to 2001 and for any readers too young to sort of remember what it was like living through those years it's a little um you know crash course in life in 2001 that that that's amazing and i always lo love the concept of of a, of a soundtrack for the book right um in 2000 what do you have anything in mind did you start it yet the soundtrack uh i've made a short list I'm going to have some dance music on there. I'm going to have some uh, non-hip-hop stuff because, you know, it, it'd be very easy for me to put hip-hop stuff hip hop stuff in there. I don't want uh, that, right? I, I want to have... Uh, I'm just... Oh, I've got some of them. 
sort of rock stuff, you know, that I don't yeah. normally get involved with. In 2000, um, what came out in 2001? Well, I'm just trying to find the bloody list. Gorillas um, came out in 2001. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hang on. I, I need to remind myself. System of a Down, Chop Suey, came out in yeah. 2001. You probably know better than me. I'm I'm looking this up on my phone right now. <laughs> I can't claim to know this. I have no idea. Um, my search function isn't working properly here, but um, I mean, there's some grunge stuff, some rock stuff, stuff I don't normally listen to. You know, uh, I thought it'd be just Radiohead, man. I, I'm a I'm a huge Radiohead fan, and uh, they they came out with a with an album. Probably did. Yeah, came out in 2001. And Pyramid Song is dope. I don't, I don't know if you're into that at all, but it's very like a. Uh, atmospheric music man it's it's uh i love it maybe that'll fit in somewhere i i just want to say that i had a part in putting together the soundtrack for this book <laughs> so i'm throwing stuff at you but all right hang on. i found the i found yeah. the document so Which ian had? brown had his mm -hmm. track fear mm -hmm. that year right, right, right. uh there's nickelback how you remind me Oof. uh there's stereophonics have a nice day coldplay nice. yellow cranberries analyze so this is all rocky sort of stuff. There's some Yellow organic Yellow. soul. Jill Scott getting in the way. Uh -huh. India Ari video. Right. Uh, lots of UK garage. Lots of dance. Uh, That's Kings very cool, man. Kings of Tomorrow, finally. That's an awesome uh, dance I tune. don't know that. Oh, it's a great tune. That's in there. I'm going to go back and listen to it. And everybody that's listening, go back and listen to that, man. When the soundtrack comes out, we're going to probably do a show on it. We did a show on on, on your soundtrack for, for your first fiction book. It was dope, too. Um, yeah, yeah, I think we yeah. did. Yeah, I mean, we another thing, another thing I've just reminded myself about the plot is talking about genuine events. Uh, Alia died in a plane crash on the 25th of August uh, 2001, right. and that was 17 days before 9-11. Mm. We also had Bill Cooper, you know, William Milton Cooper, who predicted 9-11 so many times. And uh, they took that dude out on the 5th of November 2001. Yeah, man. And also George Harrison of the Beatles died at the very end of 2001. So these wow. are all like genuine events that I'm going to weave into the storyline. Dope. Fantastic. Sounds amazing. It, so it sounds like a good read and it sounds like you're going to get a lot out of it if you go ahead and do that. One more question. Um, is it going to be an audio book? Do, do we, is this in the plans? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I put out an audio book of the cause and the cure. It was six and a half hours. So that was relatively easy to produce. I mean, musical truth one was like frigging 20 hours of audio and it takes forever to do that. But, um, when it's six or seven hours, it's fairly easy. So yes, there will be. Well, that, that's it. We're going to link all of that up when it comes out. It's not ready yet. You know, we're, um, uh, Mark has given us a little bit of a sneak preview here on the infinite fringe, but once it is ready, uh, we'll have Mark back and we'll put all the, all the links in the show notes to let you guys know where you can go find that stuff. Go support Mark. Mark has excellent stuff going on. Tell them all the stuff you got, all the books and where they can find them. Tell them everything, Mark. Okay. So the main hub website is djmarkdevlin.com and there's links through to everything else from there. I've got my video content on YouTube mm. for the moment, BitChute, Odyssey and Rumble. I put my audio on Spreaker. I do lots of talks, mainly around the UK. I present my music industry 
information and research. And I get into other stuff as well. I talk about Tavistock, MK Ultra, the weaponization of psychology, do a lot of conferences. I do pretty much a conference every weekend now. Mm. It's mainly in the UK, but I'm hoping to do a few more overseas engagements because I used to love travel. It's one of my big passions in life. Yeah, uh, and when I was DJing, I was fortunate enough to go all around the world DJing. And um, I would like to get back to doing that only with the public speaking. So I do have a tour of Australia, which I'm putting together, mini speaking tour. That's early November. I'm going to be in four Australian cities oh. and I would love to get back to the US. And you and I were just talking before the show, Billy, about how President Biden <laughs> in the land of the free right. <laughs> has decreed that us filthy, pestilence, plague and disease ridden Brits are going to be allowed to enter the United States without having taken a three dart finish from the 11th of May, Beautiful. which is awesome news, uh, day before my birthday. And it means that I may well be able to make a trip to New York this year as well, which I would love to do. Uh, it's been a while. What's the last one? 2019. So yeah, it's the time, time I got back and uh, I'm going to be able to do that. Uh, don't know for how long, so I should probably do it quite soon. But uh, yeah, that's the plan. Fantastic, brother. And uh, so let's let's talk about that. Let's see what we can hook up here in New York while you're here. We did it the last time, you know, <laughs> so let's do it. Well, we did. I'm, I'm thinking of making a family trip of it, actually, because. Um, well, let me know. Let me know what's going on. And, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. It'd be dope to, to, to get your kids out here, right? So they can come see New York City, the greatest city in the world, ladies and gents. Come out here. Come come say what's up. They'll get a crick in their neck as they look up at the buildings and go, wow, how tall? <laughs> come out here and say what's up to the kid, man. Hey, listen, Mark, hold on for a second, man. Uh, do not hang up. That is uh, Mark Devlin, ladies and gents. Make sure you go check out his work. He has a ton of it. Um, and, uh, you know, support the dude if you so choose. Uh, the fiction book is coming out soon. The Gift and the Curse, ladies and gents. My name is Billy Ray Valentine. This is The Infinite Fringe. Hope everybody's doing well. Take it easy now. We're going to hit you with some more coming soon. All right? Do not burn the place down while I'm gone. See you soon. Bye-bye. Um.